What's up, church? How are we doing today? You guys doing good? So good to have you. Welcome to New Hope. If you're a guest around here, my name is Benji. Get the awesome privilege of serving as one of the pastors here. And uh, if you were here at Easter, I'm not going to be redundant. You've already heard some of the praises, but, but we had an amazing celebration where we tore this curtain emblematic, if you will, of Isaiah 64, 1, and then Matthew 27, when Jesus died and rose again, the curtain was torn, which indicated to us last week, right, that everyone, everybody say everyone, everyone. now everybody say everyone, everyone, has full access to God Almighty, and so here we are, we are Easter people, amen, we are resurrection people, and I'm so glad you are here today. Hey, before we get into the word today, just one quick thing. We are a church that loves to be a blessing to the community. And so at New Hope, the word hope has always stood for this, H-O-P-E, helping other people everywhere. And uh, we just want to invite you, uh, when you leave today at all of our campuses, by the way, we haven't welcomed the campuses, come on, can you welcome Garner Campus, Sanford Campus, Hillsborough Campus, Online Campus, Kenya Campus, welcome all. We love you guys over there and praise God for what he did there last week as well. At every campus, when you leave today, you can pick up, if you're interested, these bags. And these bags are for us to go through our closets and maybe pack some clothes that we're not going to wear anymore. How many of you have done some spring cleaning? Come on, anybody? How many of you have done some spring cleaning? This might be a good jump start for you to do some spring cleaning. Go into your closets, and you know those clothes, you know those clothes you've been praying <laughs> Oh God, I'm going to fit in those again one day, right? You know what I'm talking about? You might. But you might not. And even if you can, you might not want to wear them anymore, right? Uh, throw those clothes in a bag. We are partnering with um, all kinds of community organizations. And we're going to take all the clothes from all the campuses. And we're going to get those out to people who don't have clothes to wear. And so it's just a great opportunity. If you're interested, grab those on your way out. And uh, you have all of April to do it. And then be sure you bring those clothes back, those bags back by April 20. 25th. Cool? Amen. Hey, you are in for a treat today. Um, my pastor, he is definitely one of my pastors. Uh, Mike Bro is in the house. He is um, not only one of my pastors, but he is, uh, in my opinion, one of my favorite best communicators on the planet. He is coming today to kick us off uh, in this new series. Everybody say, this is for everyone. Would you do what you do and welcome Mike Bro to the stage? Come on. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's great to see you all, as always. And man, I heard that Easter was amazing in this place, and I wish I could have been with you all. I was in a parking lot in uh, Southern California, worshiping with a bunch of people there, and it was awesome as well. Uh, it's just, it's just uh, such a great time to be together as a church. And I want to welcome all the campuses as well, and those of you that might be joining us online, including my brand new friend I met yesterday, Cherry, who was my Uber driver, and she said that she would tune in today. So Cherry, welcome to New Hope today. Uh, just grateful, grateful to all of you. Uh, uh, last weekend was, was an amazing illustration, dramatic fashion we saw how that curtain in the temple was torn into the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. 
gives us all access to God the Father. And we've, we've talked before about how the Bible can pretty much be summed up with these, these three statements, is that God longs for a relationship with people like us, but people like us broke the relationship, so God took the initiative, and God moved throughout all of history to restore that broken relationship with people like us. And when Jesus died, he screamed, it is finished. In other words, the broken relationship has been restored. And here's a really cool thing about it. It's for everybody. Jesus Christ invites everyone to be a part, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what they said about you, what labels they tried to attach to you, the invitation to join Jesus is not based on your looks, on your talent, on your race, on your skill set, or your intellect. None of that qualifies you nor disqualifies you. Jesus has swung the door wide open to anyone who will believe, saying this is for everyone. So I want to kick this off today with a story. You know how there's just something powerful about a story, right? And you all know how a northern story begins. It begins once upon a time. A southern story begins with y'all ain't going to believe this, right? <laughs> but stories help you understand other people, help, help you remember things. And some, sometimes I will use a story in a message and then reuse that story years later in another message, or maybe even like a decade later, I'll use the same story, and somebody will never really come up to me and say, oh, I've heard you preach that message before. And I've never given that message ever in my lifetime. But what is it they remembered? It was that story, right? Stories just stick with you. Stories help you understand people better. You think you got somebody all figured out. You even kind of lump them into a certain category, but then you hear their story. And it helps you see them in a completely different way. Stories help people understand you better. I mean, you might be talking to somebody and trying to explain something. And you say, well, maybe this will help. Uh, one time when I was a kid, and that story helps them understand you better. Stories spark imagination. You'll hear a great story, maybe watch a great story, and, and you think, you know what? I, maybe I could do that. Stories evoke emotion. They make you choke back tears. They touch you deeply in your core. They can make you laugh. They can calm you down. They can inspire you. If I want to watch a basketball game and Debbie's not really down with that, I'll just make up a story, and she'll watch. I'll say, you see, see, see number five there? Uh, that, that coach found him as an abandoned baby at a fire station <laughs> and raised him by himself as a single dad. She'll go, oh, I love that coach. I want to watch this game. She's glued. I, I, know, it's, I know it's not right, but it, but it works for me. Jesus knew the power of stories, and he was an amazing storyteller. I mean, Jesus used object lessons. He used current events. He used humor. He told these amazing parables, these stories that were full of insight and profound truth and life-changing wisdom. There are over 40 of them contained in the New Testament section of the Bible in the books Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You really ought to check them out sometime. But the one we're going to read today is one of my all-time favorite stories that Jesus ever told. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to that. If you've got an app that you use, we're going to put it on the screens as well, and you can follow along. But this story falls in a series of parables that Jesus was telling about the reality of the kingdom of God. You know, that backward kingdom, that modnik that we talked about months ago. Uh, the setting of this particular story is a Middle Eastern vineyard. 
Now, I currently live in Ventura, California, and we, get lots of, we got lots of surfer dudes and lots of thrift stores in Ventura. But we also have lots of agriculture there. There are strawberry fields forever and vegetable fields and lemon groves and orange groves and avocado groves everywhere. And a little further north, there are vineyards as far as the eye can see. And in those vineyards and orchards and fields are lots and lots of hardworking men and women who are just making those things come to life and eventually helping those, those things get to our table. Uh, you can take a trip over to Home Depot and there are always workers there in the parking lot, just day laborers, wondering if you might have any projects that you might need some help with that day. So much like today, in Jesus' day, farmers every morning would go out and hire these willing workers, these day laborers, to help with harvesting and pruning and plowing and picking and cultivating and weeding and irrigation. There were great vineyards all over the place for wine production, olive groves, for production of olive oil and figs and dates and different kinds of grains and all of these things had to be farmed. And Judean Galilean farmers were these simple, hardworking, dirt under the fingernails kinds of people. And there were lots of them always in the crowds that heard Jesus teach. And that's why quite a few of Jesus' stories involve this most common profession of the day, because most of his audience could relate, which by the way, is the purpose of a story, to help people get it, right? So Jesus tells this amazing story about the reality of the incredible kindness of God. Let me just say, y'all ain't gonna believe this. Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning, six o'clock when the day started, to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they also went to work in the vineyard at noon. And at, again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock in the afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. Now I want to break this down into two sections. And I want to label the first group as these guys who were surprised by joy. Now that's the title of an old book by former atheist C.S. Lewis, who's a brilliant guy who was led to Christ by his wife, who was named, you guessed it, Joy. And in the pages of that book, Surprised by Joy, he expresses, Oh my goodness, being a Christian is so much better than I ever thought. I've been missing out on all this all my life. Why did I ever put this off? And he writes about all these mis misconceptions and preconceived ideas of what he thought the Christian life was like and what he thought God was like. And he concluded, actually knowing the true and living God, the God who is a perfect father is absolutely wonderful. Why did I wait so long? He was surprised by joy. And you know what? Some of you are like that. I got a bunch of friends like that who came to faith in Jesus kind of later in their life after many detours and destructive decisions. And now they look at their life and go, man, what was I thinking? This life was here all along? I mean, I had no clue that families could be like this. I had no clue what real friendship was like. I never thought that somebody like me would ever get invited into something like this. I can't believe I get to live forever. Now I know that God loved me all along. I can't believe I waited this long. But man, I'm so grateful I finally embraced the love of Jesus for my life. 
Anybody like that? That's the perspective of these guys who were hired last. Now you understand why in just a moment. And I don't know, but maybe these five o'clock guys, you know, may have been hiding each time the landowner came by to hire. They may not have really wanted to go to work. I'm not sure. But I think because of their response, my guess is that these guys didn't lack the initiative because they showed up. They were just the leftovers. These were the guys that nobody else wanted. Ever been there? Ever been picked last, like at recess when you're a kid, or a pickup game, you know, choosing up sides, always pick the biggest, strongest, tallest, fastest. I'll take him. Well, I got him. I got her. I got her. Okay, you. I guess we got you, right? You ever been cut from a team? Ever received a no thank you from an audition? Ever been rejected for a job interview, laid off at work, or fired from a job? Ever been labeled as a loser at school? And I'm guessing that more than just a few of us have even felt unwanted at home. I mean, feeling less than is a pretty crappy feeling, isn't it? In the story, when the farmer asked, how long have you been standing there doing nothing? I don't think he's chastising them for their laziness. They just weren't selected because they respond, well, nobody's hired us. It's almost like they're saying, we were here at six o'clock. We were willing, but nobody wanted us. We got picked over and we're just left here on the sideline. And by the way, I hope you can see that one of the reasons Jesus tells this story is to remind us that God, who is the landowner here, chooses those who think they're unchoosable. You just might need to hear this today. He does not see you as sideline material. He does not look at you and me as leftovers, as less than. He says, listen, this world might not have chosen you, but they can't see what I see in you. I see you as a first-round lottery pick. I see you as this talented, priceless, packed full of potential person of great worth. I choose you. I want you. Well, the landowner in this story hires these guys. And it's certainly not a full day's work. I mean, there's only an hour left before quitting time. But it's better than nothing. At least they got hired and they would have like a little jingle in their pocket. But here's where it gets really, really cool. Check this out. Verse 8. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Y'all ever been to Waffle House before? You know, you know the place I'm talking about? I got a friend who goes every single Christmas morning and leaves a $500 tip for an unsuspecting waitress and just leaves a stack of bills under the coffee cup and then goes out to his car to look through the window and just watch this person get surprised by joy. A guy named Greg Rubar was a waiter at the Domenico Italian restaurant in Houston. He had lost his car because of a hurricane flooding that, that occurred and he was walking to work and he every now and then would borrow the, the, the restaurant's catering truck to get back and forth. He'd been waiting on this one particular couple at this restaurant for eight years. And one night they told Rubar, the older guy said, listen, I'm not going to be giving you a tip, tip for a while. He said, take this money, handed him $5,100 bills. He said, go buy yourself a car. You might say he was surprised by joy. So these guys in Jesus' story, they line up for the paycheck. The five o'clock guys, the guys who were hired last, they're told to line up first. And when they get their paycheck, they look at it and they go, why did this can't be right? Excuse me. Like we only worked an hour. This is a check for like the whole day. And the foreman says, no, that's right. I said, no, you, no, you don't understand. We just got here like an hour ago. He goes, I know. He wanted you to have it. These guys work one hour 
and got a whole day's pay. And they're going, this is incredible. We don't deserve this. This is better than we ever thought it could be. Never in my wildest dreams. This is extravagant. Man, what a job. What a boss. Now, I could miss my guess on this, but I think when the landowner went back the next day to hire, the ones who were hired last would be the first ones there in the morning, eager to go to work for this guy. I mean, wouldn't you? They were overwhelmed by his generosity. This is better than we ever imagined. They were completely surprised by joy. And you know, that's why we gather here and celebrate every week. So many of us are completely blown away by the generosity of God because a lot of us felt rejected. We felt less than. We felt left out and picked over. Some of us thought there was no hope, no hope of us ever turning our life around because we'd made too many mistakes, had made so many wrong turns, We had way too many bad habits and addictions and a boatload of regret. And God came looking for us. Said, I want you. I I choose you. Yeah, I I love you. I want to lavish my grace on you and give you so much more than you will ever deserve. And like so many of you, I am so grateful for what God has done in my life. And that's what motivates me to live for him. I'm no longer motivated by guilt. I'm not motivated by approval seeking. I'm not trying to appease a God I've ticked off in some way that I'm afraid of. I'm not doing things so that God might love me, but I'm trying to do good because he loves me. When you live grateful for his grace, when you're captured by the heart of this landowner, when you're motivated by the generous love of God, it changes everything about your life. I know. You see, I've not always been a part of this first group of workers. At times, I'm not proud of this, I have identified far too closely with this second group. Let's pick up the story again in verse 10. When those hired first, talking about the six o'clock in the morning guys, came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. Now I can just imagine that word gets passed down the line and maybe they even hear a roar at the front of the line. They could see the high fives going on in the front of the line. So the guys in the back who worked all day long eventually hear about what happened up front and they're getting all fired up. They're all jacked up anticipating their check. And they're pulling out the, the calculator app on their phone. They're doing math going, okay, the guy's hired at five o'clock, got a full day's pay for an hour of work. I started at 6 a.m. That's 12 times. Oh my goodness. This is going to be awesome. I mean, they're already dreaming of ways they're going to spend their bonus. And when it's their turn, they find out that they too got a full day's pay, which was the agreed upon contract. And they get ticked. This first group we labeled surprised by joy. We're going to label this second group as offended by grace. Check this out. Verse 11. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people, circle that one, those people worked only one hour and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Did you catch how they just had to add that? All day long in the scorching heat is added for effect. We do that, don't we? You don't understand all that I have been through. You don't know how much I have sacrificed. You have no idea how long I've been at it. Do you know the countless hours that I have served? God, did you see how hard I've worked? Did you know how much money I've given? After all I've done for you, this is the thanks I get. Those people, those people haven't done half of what I've done. Those people are not half as good as me. This is not fair. When I'm less than what Jesus wants me to be, these are the guys I can relate to. And I'm just guessing I'm not alone. See, here's the deal. They weren't cheated at all. 
They got exactly what they signed on for, but they still scream, what about me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. God, no, those people, those people, those people get forgiveness too. Those people get joy too. Those, those people get heaven too. Come on, God, that's not fair. You know, one of the problems in our country right now, honestly, is a those people mentality. I can hardly read social media. In fact, I've, I've taken a sustained break from it. Such a lack of humility and kindness, so much division and name calling and finger pointing and labeling and even violence pointing to, quote unquote, those people. I like what Anne Lamott says. She goes, you can safely assume that you have created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. Gang, it's never a those people with Jesus. It's just people. A few years ago, we walked through the story in the Old Testament of a guy named Jonah. Some of you might remember that. It's such an engaging story about this guy that God taps on the shoulder to be a spokesperson. And he tells Jonah he wants him to go to a group of people in a place called Nineveh, who just happened to be the evil arch enemy of the nation of Israel. Well, Jonah is this super flag-waving patriotic guy. He absolutely hated those people. So he tells God, listen, I don't mind working with your own people, but I wouldn't touch those people with a 10-foot pole. So Jonah tries to run from God, which by the way, haven't you experienced is futile? And God runs after him because he does that, you know. You cannot outrun God's love. And God catches up to Jonah in some extremely unique ways, and God rescues him in a very unique way, sea whale. And God, in his amazing grace, gives this guy Jonah a second chance. And so he finally and reluctantly goes to Nineveh like God asked him to in the first place. And he goes, didn't have a great attitude, but when he goes, he goes, and he gets there, and he tells the people of Nineveh that God is not at all pleased with their extremely evil ways, that they need to repent, turn around, and come to God, or God was going to drop the hammer, probably even took great delight in delivering that doomsday message. Well, guess what happens? Those people, those people repent. They humble themselves. They grieve over their sin and they turn toward God. And guess what God does? God grants them grace because it turns out he loved those people. He forgives their sin. And he does that for anybody who will humble themselves before him because the grace of God is for everyone. And like those 6 a.m. workers, Jonah gets ticked. He goes ballistic on God. He says, that's just like you, God. I knew you were gonna do something like this because you can't get past that soft spot you have in your heart for people, always trying to lavish love and compassion and give people a chance to come home. That's why I ran in the opposite direction in the first place because I knew you'd try to pull something like this. God, you know those people are our enemy. We are the people of God. I hate these outsiders. You should too because you know all the incredible, horrible, evil stuff they've done. You know how they flaunted their sin in your face. You know how rebellious those people have been. Those people are not good people by any stretch of the imagination. They're not sorry, God. They're just faking it. You should have burned them when you had the chance because mark my words, they're going to burn you. Jonah is ticked off. I mean, isn't this incredible? He was just a recent recipient of the amazing grace of God and now he's offended by it. This is outrageous. This is not fair. Can I ask you all something? Aren't you glad God's not fair? Now, don't get me wrong. He's just and he's true and he's unswervingly faithful. 
But in regard to our sin, when we humbly walk with him, his grace gives us so much more than we will ever deserve. And that is not fair. It isn't fair that God would rescue me from my self-centered ways. It isn't fair that God would give me a second chance. It isn't fair that God would give me an awesome wife. It isn't fair that God would put great friends like you in my life. It isn't fair that he would allow me, me, to, to teach on his behalf. It isn't fair that Jesus went to a cross for me and took the rap from my sin. It isn't fair that I get to go to heaven. God has not been fair to me. He has not been fair to you. And I, for one, am eternally grateful because that's his amazing grace. You know, Benji and I have both said before, but justice is getting what you deserve and mercy is not getting what you deserve. But grace is getting something you will never, ever deserve. You know, probably Jesus' most famous story that he tells is found in Luke chapter 15. It's a story known as the prodigal son. You ever, you ever heard of that one? Well, there's a story about this kid who basically tells his dad, I wish you'd hurry up and die. Just give me my share of the inheritance now. And he takes all the cash and he squanders it in wild living and he ends up busted and broken and finally comes to his senses and he goes back home expecting the worst only to find his father waiting for him, the lavish grace on him. It's such a cool story about how this is for everyone. But I want you to see what prompted Jesus to tell that story in the first place. Luke chapter 15, verse one, tax collectors and other quote unquote notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. You see, the religious leaders could not grasp the love of God. They were offended that he would dare hang out with those people. He couldn't celebrate the graciousness of the landowner. They weren't surprised by joy. They were offended by grace. So let's just get real honest here. You ever, you ever get offended by grace? Are you grateful that God has shown you mercy, but appalled that he would show it to a guy like that or a girl like that? Let's be honest. You ever wrestle with 11th hour conversion of a convicted murderer or rapist or pedophile? Or even worse, somebody who hurt us, betrayed us, abused us, used us? Someone we've already sentenced in our heart, locked them up in the prison of our disgust and thrown away the key. And then the impossible happens. God breaks through. And they humble themselves and sincerely repent and embrace God's forgiveness and grace. And we can cross our arms and say, that's not fair. That's not fair. Unlike you, I have tried to live a good life. Yeah, right. You, you, you think God's going to forgive you? You better think again because grace is, grace is for average sinners like me, not notorious sinners like you. Listen, God has called us to despise evil because of what it does to people he loves, but never despise the people he loves. God wants you and me to have the same kind of heart he has towards sin, but also the same kind of heart he has towards people. And gang, you and I have never locked eyes with another person on this planet that Jesus did not die for. There's just something smug and self-satisfying about donning the black robe and stepping behind the bench and dropping the gavel and pronouncing judgment. But we don't hold the gavel. The Bible makes it very, very clear that there is only one qualified to pass final judgment. So I'm just learning to let God be God and simply walk grateful for the grace in my own life. I'm trying to see people through grace-healed eyes and I'm praying that everybody comes to know his love like I have, no matter what, who they are or what they've done. 
And I just never, ever again in my life want to be offended by grace. I want to be captured by the heart of the gracious God. Check out the landowner's response, verse 13. He answered one of them, friend, I love this. It's a term of endearment. He said, friend, I, I haven't been unfair. I mean, didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? To take your money and go. Because I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? I mean, what a question that is. Is it right for you to be jealous because I'm kind? When Mike Bro was captured by the generous heart of the landowner, when I received the grace of God with joy and gratitude over the fact that I have, I have been forgiven much, then my heart is able to let go of any hint of comparison or superiority or resentment or envy or judgmentalism, any hint of self-righteousness. And I'm just thrilled that God is lavishly generous with his grace toward anybody. My wife, Debbie, uh, felt led to start working with and mentoring girls uh, who had come out of prostitution and sex industry and porn and stuff in a, in a really cool ministry. And these girls have had really, really tough lives and they've been through so much. And uh, they, they use words my wife had never heard. She learned a lot. Uh, but a lot of brokenness. And uh, to be honest, Debbie's lived a pretty squeaky life and she was intimidated. And she was really, really worried that she couldn't relate to these girls. And so she began to pray. She said, God, you know, how am I, how am I, how, how's a person like me going to help these girls that I, I don't know where, they're, where they've come from? The answer came back to her. When you realize that you need my grace as much as they do, you'll be fine. And she's done an amazing job with these gals. So I love what Max Cato writes in his book, In the Grip of Grace. He says, ponder the achievement of God. God doesn't condone our sin, nor does he compromise his standard. He doesn't ignore our rebellion, nor does he relax his demands. Rather than dismiss our sin, he assumes our sin and incredibly, incredibly sentences himself. God is still holy, sin is still sin, and we are saved by grace. Pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, I hope I never lose the wonder of it. And sometimes we start out, you know, blown away by the kindness of God, the heart of the landowner, and we call it uh, amazing grace, right? But if we're not daily captured by it pretty soon, it becomes intriguing grace. Then it becomes interesting grace. Then one day it's just like, oh yeah, grace. I hope that my heart and your heart will always be captured by the amazing grace of God. And I pray that our lives will reflect to a broken world. Listen, there's a God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. The grace of God reaches lower than your worst mistake. It runs further than you could ever run away. And all of us stand in need of it. See, the awesome part is, this is for everyone. So what I wanna do right now is invite everyone to stand at all of our campuses, whether you're online as well. And we're gonna declare together our gratitude and our faith and the God of amazing grace. Before we do that, uh, let, let me pray. Father, just so grateful uh, for your amazing grace to us. And God, it is, it's amazing. And I'm so grateful that you weren't just and fair with me. That Jesus Christ took the rap for my sin and my mistakes and my rebellion, my flat out apathy. Uh, so grateful. 
God, uh, we just want to have the same heart as you have toward people. God, I, I pray that you would just sweep away any those people mentality that we might have. Help us be honest with ourselves and honest with you about any hint of that stuff that's in us. Help us to see other people through grace-healed eyes, the way Jesus saw people. Father, I, I thank you that you uh, gave us so much more that we felt like we were picked over and left out and less than and you came looking for us and you gave us a new life and a fresh start. So grateful, so grateful. And so uh, we wanna wrap this up today, God, just telling you how much we believe in the unbelievable love of Jesus that would reach to uh, people like us. So we're so grateful and we sing this uh, with grateful, grateful hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.